Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Have you ever wondered how it's possible to believe the right things, yet do the wrong things when you analyze your life? It's like, oh my, I, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, but sometimes I do not do it. Well, I don't want you to be discouraged. You're not alone. I mean, this happens regularly. It happens to me. I can find myself in situations where I have the opportunity to do the right thing. I know what to do. And then sometimes I make the wrong choice in those moments, even though it is just clear to me that this is really a bad direction that I should take. You see, a wrong response, what it does is that it creates a gap between what we know to do, what we have in our heads, and and then what we actually do, what we live out in our daily lives. One of the ways you could say it is that my orthodoxy, my understanding of the Bible says one thing, and my orthopraxy, my daily living, my practical living it out, it reveals another thing. And so I know that you're, you're like me. There are no perfect people. There is a gap between what we know to do and, and what we actually do. And so I don't want you to be discouraged because you are not alone. I mean, the truth is, is that there is no perfect Christian. We know this. We all live somewhere in the gap between what we know to be true and what we live out daily. It's a general hypocrisy. Maybe that's a good way of saying it. But understanding it is essential because that's, that's why judging another person is uncharitable when they fail. I mean, that is really wrong-headed to just judge other people as though we are different from them. And for those of us who have a tighter gap between what we know and what we do, well, then we just echo the words of Paul. What have we received that was not given to us? For by grace, we are incrementally changing and we're closing that gap between our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. Of course, it's the, aware, it's the awareness of our gap. It does restrain us from judgmentalism. I mean, how can we judge others when we live in the gap? And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm talking about uncharitable judging. Oh, yeah, we should judge people, assess people, observe people. But we do this in a charitable, charitable way, not a condemning way. Because we know that there is a gap between our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. And so we never ask, is there a gap between what we believe and what we do? No, we're smarter than that. Our questions are more intrusive. They are more insightful. They're more clarifying. Let me give you a few of those questions to think about as we roll into this study about closing the gap between who we are and who Christ is. Would you take some time to self-reflect? I mean, how big is your gap? I mean, there is one. And so how big is it? When we first come to Christ at regeneration, well, that gap is, is incredibly wide. Now, the real question that we want to think about, is it widening? I mean, I hope that's not happening. I'm okay with general hypocrisy that what I know to do and what I don't do, that there's a discrepancy there. 
But, but what I'm really interested in, is that gap widening or is it closing? Is it getting tighter and tighter? Are we moving toward Christ-likeness? And so what are you doing about your gap? How aware are you of it? Who is aware of it? Who is speaking into your life? Are you truly intentionally trying to close that discrepancy? How often do you talk to God about your gap? And of course, are we soliciting help from our friends, uh, letting them in on the secret, which is not a secret at all? The issue is not the gap. The issue really is, which way are you going? Are, are we running to God? I hope that you are. I mean, not perfectly, I understand that. Maybe it looks more like the stock market where it, it, it's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. But you look at a trend line, and the trend line is, is that we're moving closer and closer to God day by day. Tim Keller said it this way, sin is running away from God. And grace is God's effort to pursue and to intercept self-destructive behavior. Praise God for the ally. We have several allies. We have God himself who providentially guides us into places that helps us to come to this self-awareness that we need to make changes in our lives. We have the Bible as an instructional manual, a guidebook, step by step. It's like a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We have the Spirit of God who illuminates us and helps us to see what we cannot see and even bringing sweet conviction into our lives so that we can recognize it's time you're going in the wrong direction. Of course, there is the community of faith as well. Having one or two close friends who have the courage not to rubber stamp us and have the compassion not to be harsh with us when we fail. And then we have our consciences, our internal moral thermostat, a means of grace that recognizes when we're crossing the lines, when we're transgressing, and it sends a signal to us. It's our inner voice that says we need to head in another direction. You see, God knew that we would live somewhere in the gap, and so he created grace for undeserving gap dwellers. Grace is his empowering favor. It's appropriated for us. All we have to do is to determine whether or not we will apply God's unmerited favor to close the distance between the person that we are and who Christ is. Now, what I'm talking about here is, you could say it this way, functional beliefs and confessional beliefs. I've already said orthodoxy and orthopraxy. I have used the term functional atheism before to describe the concept of an unbelieving believer. This is the person who's truly regenerated. They believe in Christ. They have been born again, but in practice, they don't act that way. So it's like an unbelieving believer. In Mark 9, 24, it says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And isn't that our cry as well? Functional beliefs ingrain themselves in us, guiding our perception, which primarily influences our behaviors. Functional beliefs are, are what we really do on a day-to-day -day basis. Our practical beliefs 
who people see us to be, who we know uh, ourselves to be, our practical beliefs. That is who we are. I mean, that's the life that we live. You cannot disguise the life that we live. That is our functional beliefs acted out every moment of the day. These beliefs are the ones that put us in the gap. Our functional beliefs, in one sense, they are different from our confessional or our core beliefs, our orthodoxy. Our confessional beliefs are what we have learned about God and His Bible, and we have learned much about God and His Bible, depending on how long you have been a Christian, you have read the Bible ad infinitum, you have hidden God's Word in your heart, you have memorized Scripture, you talk to people about God's Word regularly. These beliefs from the Bible, what God has taught us, they are perfect, they are pure truth. For example, a core, a typical core confessional belief is that God is good. That is a, a confessional, theologically sound belief. God is good. The Bible is clear on who He is. And no Christian in their sound mind would dispute the goodness of God. That is orthodoxy. It is a core tenet of how the Bible talks about our Heavenly Father. In Psalm 25, 8, it says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. In Zechariah 9, 17, it says, For how great is His goodness and how great His beauty. Mark 10, 18, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so while we do not struggle with this confessional belief about the goodness of God, there are times when our confessional beliefs can interrupt because of the grip of our functional beliefs that they have on us. And that is the disparity between what we know to be true, like, for example, the goodness of God, but in our function, in our practice, when we're in that crucible, we can begin to doubt the goodness of God. And so there is a gap between what we know and what we believe. The most common occurrence about this gap is when we are not getting our way. I mean, think about it. How about you? When you find yourself at the intersection of God's story and your story, how strong is the pull to yield to, to your desires rather than His desires? Well, let me illustrate. Jonah was one such man. Though he was a good prophet who loved God, no question, there was a particular situation in his life where he had to decide whether to cling to his confessional beliefs, who he knew God to be, or his functional beliefs, what he wanted in that moment. And you know the story. Jonah chose the latter. He chose his functional, practical, orthopraxy beliefs over what he knew to be true. It was function over confession. Here's the story or part of it in Jonah 1. The first three verses goes like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
rather than following God? Jonah ran the other way. Now, I am not here to fuss with Jonah, not too much, because I have done this a few times. A while ago, I was angry with my wife, and at that moment, I felt the pressure that Jonah felt. Will I trust and follow God by living out the pure word of the Lord, or will I allow my functional atheistic beliefs, which are telling me to do things my way, to rule the day? Well, when I got angry at my wife, I, like Jonah, chose my desires over God's. At that moment, it did not matter what my confessional beliefs were because I was not yielding to the word that I confessed. Truth does not matter if we are not going to live by it. I mean, if functional beliefs went out, we're no better than the atheists because we act out functional atheism. Now, before you progress here, I would appeal to you to take some time to reflect on a, a few situations where functional beliefs have overpowered the Word of God that we confess. I mean, here's some illustrations. They're probably not yours, but just something to think about as you do your own reflection. For example, I, I know lying is wrong, but if I'm in a place where I may look bad, I may choose to lie rather than speak the truth, meaning I may choose to present myself as something that I am not, even in the most subtle ways. Another illustration, I, I know that I should love my wife the way Christ loved the church, but I want to punish her through anger when she displeases me, which is what anger is doing. James would call it murder in, in James 4. I know that I should forgive others as Christ has forgiven me but I want to make them pay for what they did when they hurt me. I know that God looks at the heart and is not impressed with this jar of clay, but I want to dress to impress to other people. I want to uh, present this persona, this carefully edited version of, of someone else who represents me so people would fall in love and approve that person more than me, because I know who I am. I, I know what God knows about me, so I live in this hypocritical duality. I know looking twice at a woman is lust, but I enjoy the sleazy satisfaction of looking at a woman. I know I should obey my parents, but they are not perfect, and there are times when I judge them for this, which is why I disobey them. Now, maybe you found yourself in one of those illustrations. I mean, those, that, those are the tensions that we have in our lives. Whether those are yours or not, mine or not, we can list our own. We, we can be autobiographical. And when we are, there is truth there that we, we live one way sometimes, and, and we know that that is not the word of the Lord, the way that we should live. And there is a danger in this gap dwelling and so as you reflect on your gap, how, how do you do? I mean, maybe it would be good to describe your gap. I mean, you have one, and some things motivate you to, to hoist the functional flag of your life while lowering the confessional one that you know to be true. I mean, self-protection, self-preservation, self-promotion. These are three 
I mean, just three hidden idolatries that will feed and fuel our functional beliefs. Our practical beliefs will often run under the radar of our behaviors. We can live that way, and that's a part of presenting ourselves as something that we are not exactly, and we're living another kind of life underneath the radar. Part of what it means to live in the gap is to create that highly edited version of ourselves that we present for public consumption. We're not dumb enough to live according to the full scope of our functional belief system in the raw. I mean, that is dumb. We keep those things hidden. And the problem with hiding our functional beliefs from others is that we can, after a while, begin to believe our self-promoting efforts as we present ourselves to others. It's self-deception. If we are believers, if you, tr- if you truly have been born again, then we want our functional beliefs exposed so that we can change. We know that we cannot live a lie. Living a lie, did you know this? It is a form of insanity. The, the sane mind, and when we're not sane, we are outside of sanity. We are insane. Insanity is an immersion in paranormal thinking. Para means alongside. It means outside of something, alongside of something else. Paranormal thinking is beside normal thinking or outside normal thinking. Normal thinking is biblical thinking. Sanity is living as close to biblical thought as you can. Choosing to live continuously outside the clear and normative teaching of the Word of God will eventually lock us into insanity. And then our consciences will soon follow our functional beliefs by by hardening us in that gap. I hope you do not want to stay in your gap, which should actually, I mean, it should scare us to death. We do have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God, two means of grace given to us to help us to change our functional beliefs until they are submitted to and guided by our confessional beliefs. If there is a disconnect between our functional and our confessional beliefs, then we have to discern them and decipher them. And then we have to determine how to break the disconnect that keeps us stuck in the gap. It's a trap that requires extrication so that we can be free to make the fame of God great in our world. Jonah's response to God seemed to say, think about this, if I act like God is not there and act like God does not care, then eventually things will work out according to what I want. Think of how how self-deceptive that is. He is sabotaging his own mind. And though you may not have said such things, It's the standard appeal from the functional gods. You see, in Hebrews, you know this passage of Scripture, and this is odd when you think about that you can fool God. The Hebrew writer said this, For the Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword 
piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's more. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I mean, honestly, I have acted as though God does not see in the darkness of my heart. I mean, even though God was telling me not to sin, I persist in my way. I do the wrong thing, pretending the truth of God, that it does not exist, that his word doesn't exist. I slavishly push push God out of my mind by allowing the functional gods to to shout my true confessional beliefs down, which freed me to sin and to functionally act any way that I want. Uh, You could do this, and it doesn't matter what God's Word says. It It doesn't matter what God knows about me at that moment. Functional beliefs can make noisy souls. I mean, it's kind of like I want a life according to what I want. If I continue to hold on to my functional beliefs, I can get what I want, even if it means divorce. If I want something more than someone and ignore what God says, I can use my anger to get what I want. I mean, these are the functional gods that's shouting our confessional beliefs down. When you run from God, a ship will always be ready to take you where you want to go. And that's what Jonah had. He decided to run to run from God, and, and guess what? There was a ship waiting on him. If you harbor impure thoughts, eventually there will be a bed for you to act out your passions. If you harbor self-pity and, and I-deserve-better attitude, you will find the wrong solution for your sinful desires. When these things happen, we will affirm our evil desires. I mean, you may be surprised how often I've heard people justify their immoral behaviors through the signs that they experience. I mean, it could sound like this. I felt horrible in my marriage, and though I was not looking for anyone, Biff came along. It was like we had known each other all our lives. And so the unbiblical nonsense goes. Because she got what she wanted... She talked herself into believing God was in it. Jonah could have been like this too. He ran from God, and guess what? A ship was ready to take him to Tarshish. My, my, isn't God good? If I disobey God and nothing bad happens, nothing bad will happen. You may disobey God, and nothing terrible may happen. But do not be so biblically naive as to think your actions are right or justified. A false peace can take us to hell. I've heard it said that there is one thing worse than going to hell. It is going to hell while thinking you're going to heaven. Jonah got what he wanted. But what he wanted was not what God wanted. His functional belief system was pushing him toward Tarshish. God was calling him to go toward Nineveh. They were moving in the wrong direction. Actually, God was not moving at all. It was Jonah that was heading out. He was the fool whose deceitful desires fooled him. 
Just because we can sleep in a storm, as he was doing, it doesn't mean that we are doing the right thing. Now, eventually, Jonah's problems worsened, and that is how it always goes. Ours will too. When our functional and confessional beliefs are at odds with each other, well, things are only going to get bad. From there, from the time that Jonah arose from his sleep, we see how all his functional beliefs were false. When he woke up, now we begin to see that what he was practicing was absolutely false. He may have dismissed God, but God did not dismiss him. And that should be good news. God is a relentless pursuer of his children, even when we are running in the wrong direction. He may have hoped not to get caught, but God was mercifully on his case. Jonah's functional belief says, if I run, God won't care. Jonah's functional belief said, if I do what I want, God won't intervene. Guess what? Be sure our sins will find us out. And so Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he laid down and was fast asleep, so the Bible says. And the captain came and he said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. That is Jonah 1, verses 5 and 6. God does care. God will interject himself at some point in our lives. Ironically here, you heard it in that text there. When the mariners woke up Jonah, he told them, who his God was, which was his confessional belief, not theirs. <clears throat> Jonah told them who God was. That wasn't their belief. That was Jonah's belief. His confession was what he believed, though what he believed was utterly different from what he was doing at that moment. Correct theology does not always lead to obedience. A proper confession of faith does not keep you from heading in the wrong direction. Jonah had functional beliefs opposing his confessional faith, which separated him from God. Are our lives a faithful picture of the implications of what we say, what we believe about God and the gospel? Are there areas in our lives where functional contradictions exist between what we say and, and believe and, and how we live? Vance Havner said it this way, I haven't always lived up to my preaching, but I've never lowered my preaching to fit my living. There is only one way to close the gap between functional and confession. We must return to our theology of sin and grace. We grow in narrowing the difference between confessional and functional beliefs by cultivating an ongoing, deepening sense of sin and grace. We cannot ignore the evil in our lives, the sin, and we mustn't ignore the grace of God in our lives. If we ignore the sin, we will not see it clearly, and we will not be able to appropriate God's grace to our sin. The central deception in the gap between function and confessional beliefs is how we view sin 
and grace. And as you probably already discern, the only way a person will live in the gap is to become comfortably numb to their sin. You can become comfortably numb by minimizing the sin. We do this by twisting it, ignoring it, relabeling it, justifying it, rationalizing it, alleviating it, blaming it. There are many ways that we can minimize sin to become comfortably numb and live in sin. And any of those responses, it will keep us in the illusion that all is well when we are living in the gap between what we do and what we believe. And so we have to take our souls to task, to snap out of the gap funk. I want to give you a few tips, and I I hope that it will help you do just that that it will motivate all of us to that we take these ideas to heart and maybe even be motivated to enlist other people, a few good friends, one or two, uh, to come alongside us. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. Maybe we need a child of God, one or two, to come alongside us and to implement uh, these few ideas so that we can continue the work of closing the gap between our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. By the way, if you want to read a transcript of what I just shared with you, go to lifeovercoffee.com. You're looking for this, the reason what you believe and what you do are different. And so here's a few things to think about. Number one, when you sin, you need to think more deeply about what you said or what you did than you may have ever done. And that's where you really want the Spirit of God just to illuminate your mind to help you see what maybe you're not seeing at this moment. And so when we sin, We want to stop, drop, and roll. We want to think more deeply about what we said or what we did, maybe more so than we've ever done. Number two, then you need to ask God to reveal to you what you did, what you said, why you did it, why you said it. Now you're asking God, you're enlisting God to help you. You're begging the Spirit of God to illuminate your mind in accordance to the Word of God so that you can see it with all clarity. Number three, You must look under the sin by delving down into the real motive of your heart to understand why you did what you did or said what you said. Behavioral sin always has a heart motive. What has happened above ground, the things that we do functionally, practically, is motivated internally underneath the ground by our hearts. And I'm not suggesting that you go on some kind of dismal, reflective, morbid sin hunt. No, not at all. But God calls us to repent of our sin, which is, which is more than just repenting of our behaviors. We have to repent of the, the idol factory, the things that motivated us to sin. And if you move too quickly to grace without thinking about the heart issues that led to the sin, you, can, you cannot bring a satisfying conclusion to reduce the soul noise that's going on inside of you. And so number three is that you want to spend that time, spend enough time delving underneath what you said and what you did. Number four, you must give the spirit more opportunities to examine the runaway strategies to Tarshish, those runaway strategies of our hearts. Jonah must sit down and provide substantial biblical thought about why he ran. 
It may have looked impulsive when he ran, but functional idols were feeding the engine of his mind long before he decided to run. We do not do things impulsively. It looks like that when it happens, but there is a long train that has been fueling, that has been driving that what ultimately looks like an impulsive rash response. And so Jonah needs to sit down uh, with the Spirit of God and find that illumination in accordance to the Word to get underneath this habituation that has led to this immediate reaction to run to Tarshish. Number five, without wallowing in your sin, you want to explicitly identify all the false beliefs that motivated you to sin. To do this, you must get some help from your friends. Number six, as God gives you clarity, you need to spend time praising and thanking God for the gospel that saved you and keeps you from the destructive consequences of sin in your life. I mean, gratitude is something that needs to come into this moment because God is actively working in you. In fact, number seven, I recommend that you write a praise list noting how God has rescued you, thanking Him audibly for His persevering grace in your life, sin and grace. That is the problem why we can live in this discrepancy between orthodoxy and orthopraxy because we don't have a good understanding of sin and grace, those two primary doctrines. Number eight, then I would encourage you to share with your friends what you did, what God did, and how He rescued you from ongoing destructive behavior. Let the fame of God be known to others, and by sharing, you will accomplish several things. Let me give you four of those things. It will remind you of what God did. It will motivate others to follow the path that you are on. It will make God's name great. And then number four, it will create accountability in your life as you share your story, which may keep you from running to Tarshish again. You can find us at lifeovercoffee.com. The reason what you believe and what you do are different. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com. 